What is up, profitable public speaking listeners? Mark Birdie here. And one of the things that new public speakers struggle with is finding their voice. Now, I'm not talking about like voice cadence or like sounding good. I'm talking about what is going to be the thing that you focus on. And this is something we all need to fine tune because as we learn new things, as we gain new skills, it's tempting to feel like we could speak on a whole variety of topics. And even if we can speak on those topics very effectively, it can cause too much dilution to the point where people are confused as to what your main voice is and you struggle with your 30-second pitch when you meet new people trying to describe what you do. So a key part of that, finding your voice, sticking to it. Our guest is going to talk about that. She began her career as a psychological researcher for a prestigious mental health clinic. She eventually got into marketing and she is now the co-host of the popular internet talk show, Hillary and Margot Yell at websites. And her website, That Seems Important, was recently named one of the top 100 websites for writers. So we have a guest on the show who has certainly found her voice and she is none other than Margot Aaron. Margot, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, Mark. Margo, I'm so happy to have you on the Profitable Public Speaking Podcast. And I do feel like a lot of speakers do struggle with finding their voice, figuring out what it is they truly need to focus on. So, I mean, I know you've been in different industries. So I'm wondering if you could share with us how you were able to find your voice and advice for people looking to do the same. Oh, yeah. It's hard. It seems like one of those things that should be really simple because you are who you are like you can't hide who you are but we spend so much time actually not being who we are um, and learning to be professional or polished or all these different versions of ourselves and I think people get really confused in this conversation about using your voice because you kind of go the other extreme of like well I got to be authentic I got to be real and then they end up being really sloppy and not polished and kind of like in my case it ended up being like super snarky um, or like overly casual. So it, it's, it's about finding that balance of, I say, it, I call it, it needs to feel right. It needs to feel like you. Um, and in order to feel like you, we have to figure out what happened to your voice. Like, where did it go? Um, and so step one, I always say, is, is figuring out what shoulds live in your head. So who do you think you're supposed to sound like? Because that's probably the first place. Oh no, did I? We're good. Um, so right, so so like for some people, it is a critical boss that's in their head. For some people, it is a colleague. Um, it's a professor. It's a parent. Um, it might even be like I know the first time I started going to conferences on marketing, I thought that I had to sound a certain way if I wanted to be taken seriously as a copywriter. Um, and you begin by copying. Like, it's not a bad place to start. I know a, lo a lot of writers talk about this. I think the process for finding your voice in writing is really similar, if not identical, to finding your voice as a speaker. Um, because a, a big chunk of it is putting in the reps and also studying the greats um, at the same time. So when you study the greats um, in writing and in speaking, or whatever craft you're trying to do, you start to mimic them. Um, you start to try it on. And it's, I actually really encourage people to do this. People get very nervous about this because they're afraid of being derivative or a copycat. 
But I think one of the, the best parts of this practice is that you sort of discover that you can't help but have your voice come out. Like when you try to actually be something different than you are, you sort of sleep, you seep into that. And then you also borrow from them. Like if you read most authors, you can see, if you know enough about them and if you really nerd out, um, you start to see what influenced them. That's always something they teach you kind of in college is like what influences were on this writer or on this painter or on this speaker, um, on this thought leader at the time. Who did they study? Who did they look at? Who did they think was great? And so you start breaking that down. Um, have you ever had this experience, Mark, where like you're reading a book or you've been watching a lot of videos of someone and so you start to sound like them? Yeah, like you, you definitely hear yourself sound like that person. Yeah, or like you'll make jokes where you're like, that wasn't a me joke. That was like something they might say. Uh, that's sort of what I'm talking about. So you like, you try it on for size. And, uh, and so I think that that is, that's sort of where you start is you got to identify who's in your head uh, that isn't you. And then, and if that's useful, because you to some degree, so I'm, I'm still on step one, identifying who's in your head. There's times where it's useful, where if you were in front, like in my case, I remember I was standing in front of a corporate audience where everyone was really buttoned up. It wasn't totally appropriate to curse that much. And it was appropriate to wear like a nice suit. Um, I didn't need to take a stand and be like really irreverent um, with, with wearing something outlandish. Like that was a personal choice, but it also, you have to recognize that those decisions are saying something. It's not you being inauthentic. It's you showing respect to like the context of something that's happening. So part of finding your voice is like, where are those negotiations um, uh, the, where the, the voices in your head telling you you should be different are actually useful little tiny things? And where are they actually robbing you of the meat of what you have to say? Um, so that would be like step one. And then step two is kind of trying on the different voices. So like, try, sorry, trying on the, like, how does this person show up and speak? Do I want to sound like Seth Godin? Do I want to sound like Tony Robbins? Do I want to sound um, more like a Liz Gilbert? Do I want to sound like, what are the different people that are sort of in your head that you view as a great speaker? Because it might be a little window into the parts of you that really do want to come out. Um, but also maybe the parts of you where you're just going to borrow a little from each of them and cobble them together um, to find you. And then the third part of it is getting the reps in. So re actually going and doing the speeches um, enough times where you test things out. Like, I, I really love the way comedians do this. Like, comedians are really great at testing jokes, and they don't they don't get really emotional about it. They're like, all right, I have a joke. I'm going to workshop it. And that's what they call it. They go to different clubs and they workshop it. Um, a lot of times we don't feel this way about our speaking. Like we feel like we should show up and it should just be there and it should be great. And because that's sort of what we're showing on the movies and that's like what we're sold sometimes. So like really you have to show up day after you got to workshop it. So I, I remember, you know, I've, I've put several talks together and I show up the first time I do it. It's always excruciating, especially if people think that, you're a big brand or they think you're famous, then they have expectations and it's really nerve wracking if you're testing new material. Um, but th there's no way to shortcut that. Uh, you just have to workshop it, hopefully in front of a small audience at first before you, you build it up. And then as you test it with the audience, you see, okay, that landed, that didn't. I talked too fast. I talked too slow. I need to slow down here. I got lost in thought here. I forgot what I had to say. Um, and you test different approaches. Um, you test maybe 
Maybe what works for you to stay in your voice is to memorize. Maybe what works for you to stay in your voice is to have a, have a few points that you know you need to get to, but you don't give yourself a, a linear path of getting there. You know, that, that's where technique gets interesting. But the voice piece is the part that feels like you. It's the part that um, how you explain something and deliver something um, that someone can't take away. Um, and and it, it, it could be this, like what I hear a lot is like, oh, I don't have anything new to say. There's nothing about my stuff that's unique or special or worth talking about um, or that you haven't heard before. But I guarantee the way you explain it is different. I guarantee. And a lot of interesting points right away. One thing I do want to jump on is Margot mentioned, you know, like pay attention to the audience. Like if what you're saying doesn't work, like change it up for next time. I'd recommend looking at the recording because I know some speakers, they really, they like mentally think way too much about their audience and about uh, their delivery and stuff like that while doing the presentation. So my advice, just look at your recording after and then do that. Uh, one thing that I do want to touch on also is Margo's mentioning like, you know, uh, you want to look at other speakers, you want to use them as role models, but there is this delicate mix. I know we talked about it a little. I do want to expand. There is this delicate mix between being a copycat me too speaker versus using that person as a role model, but really being a different speaker and also different topic because you could be a different speaker, but just have a me too type of a topic. Yeah. Uh, so, and again, like me too movement, I'm not, I'm not trying to, just in case, but um, I'm wondering if you could share with us your yeah. thoughts on that. Yes, I, I think this is where, uh, I'm really glad you said that. Uh, there comes a point when I work with clients on this where I forbid them from reading other people's stuff um, because it starts becoming this rabbit hole of comparison. So we're not doing this to compare. Like if, if you start watching someone else and you start feeling like crap about yourself, then this is not useful. Um, so like, let's use that as a benchmark. Um, part of what we want to do is simply look at technique. Like um, a good, a good uh, uh, schema for this is athletes. Athletes will often, they also do the same thing with looking at recordings, which I love that advice, um, where they'll look at how they did and then they'll also review videos of how other athletes uh, performed in a game and they sort of assess it for strategy. They're not looking at their own self-worth and comparing it to that person. Um, they're like, well, maybe if they have a little insecurity, but, um, the, the, the point is more to look at the technique and to look at the approach and to look at what appeals to you, you know, take it as, as more of like a, a social science experiment where you look at that person observationally and go, okay, I see some of myself in this, or, um, let me think of a better example. I'm working right now with a client who wanted to start a podcast. She had started one. And part of what we uncovered with our work together is that she felt like she needed to sound a certain way in her podcast, mm. uh, where she was like, I, I have to sound smart. I have to um, be really well researched. I have to do interview format because that's what everybody does. And so I paused and I said, what podcast do you like? Like, what do you enjoy listening to? And when she started talking, she goes, well, I love when they're informal. I love hearing off the cuffs and I really like hearing like when people just rant, you know, about something and it just goes nowhere, but it's like really entertaining to listen to. I said, well, that's interesting. Okay. So like in this example, what that observation told me about what she liked was a little bit of a window into who she is and what she wanted to actually do. So that's where it's useful. 
it's useful in being a guidepost for for directional things of like what kind of speaker, how you want to show up as the speaker, um, not copying them verbatim. <laughs> and I do like that perspective because this show, I mean, I do bio prep. I have the topic, but that's pretty much it. I'm not doing research. If I throw like a fancy stat, it's something I knew already. Like we're very like open and, you know, not too deep, intensive stuff like that. Just fun conversations. That's what I go for on Breakthrough Success while being, you know, educational, actionable, stuff like that. But uh, you do want to go in the direction that you like because in the case of your client, uh, to want to be something because of how people view you or how you think people will view you, even though you like this other area, it will not be fun for you to host that podcast or be a speaker in that space who has that style of speaking. So I definitely think that's a really interesting point. And uh, we will continue to like, like hopefully this isn't the last podcast you listen to on profit public speaking. There's going to be more speakers and stuff like that and all good stuff across all my other stuff. And uh, we do come across people through books, videos. So for some people, they have their voice and they still consume new content because I think if you're a speaker long enough, like you're just always learning. So how can we continue to stay with our voice that we have found for ourselves and still be looking at other people without being pulled away from our voice and more into copying them? Well, I think this is where it becomes an exercise in personal development. And it's, it's a little bit of a, of a gray area because this is where you really do have to do the work of knowing who you are. So like, I highly recommend therapy for anyone who hasn't tried it. Um, but I, I think that's one approach. Another approach is, is, is coaching. Another approach is any self-help tool, books, journaling, like reading the things that you do to sort of work out your, what I call invisible scripts. So the things you believe about the world um, that you don't necessarily think to question, um, the stories you tell yourself. Like those are, those are the things I would want to examine and I would want you to get clear on because um, often those are the things that are holding us back and keeping us susceptible to losing our voice. So I'll use myself as an example. Losing my voice is not something I worry about um, because I'm really clear about who I am and what I want my work to do um, as a writer. Um, and, and so when I sit down to write, I know who I'm writing to. Um, I often know what I want to say. And so having that clarity of thought makes it a lot easier to say what you need to say. Um, I think when you don't have clarity of thought and you're still stuck in um, those invisible scripts or those limiting beliefs or whatever childhood trauma, which we all have, um, or the expectations of others or how you think you should behave, like all of that stuff you have to work through. Um, one thing I think really helps with this, by the way, and this is part of why I don't struggle with it as much anymore, is I had a, a friend of mine who's a brilliant writer um, and very brutal friend. Like she, she's one of those people that give it to you straight. And she was on my email list for a while. And she would respond one of two things. She would say, ooh, Margot showed up today. That was fire. Or she'd say, mm, you wrote that for your dad. And I would be like, what are you talking about? I wrote about copywriting and headlines. My dad doesn't even know what that is. He's not even on this list. Like, what are you talking about? And she would point out the ways in which I would get defensive 
in my voice or overcompensate or she saw all these things stylistically where I was outside of that uh, like confidence of this is just what I have to say to you. Um, and so it was really helpful to start to build that self-awareness for myself of when I'm no longer talking to my market and I'm no longer speaking for myself, but I'm defending myself against a hater or I am having an invisible conversation with a family member or a former boss or, you know, whatever it is that, that, that emotional stuff we tend to work out on stage um, if we haven't dealt with it. So, so yeah, I think self-awareness is a big part of not losing your voice of just being honest with yourself about what's coming out and how useful it is to the audience versus cathartic for you. Um, mm. and, and knowing the difference, um, which again, takes time and, and reps. <laughs> I mean, I love that insight. I feel like tone is something that not enough people give thought to and thinking of what, who your avatar is and what they want, because I could go on about like different things that have happened to me in my lifetime, but you don't really want to hear that. You just want to hear, like, how do I become a successful public speaker? How do I get on more stages? How do I refine my craft? Like, that's the stuff you want to hear. So there are things that, you know, may feel good for you to add, but they may not be what your avatar wants. So uh, while, of course, like staying true to your style of how you love to provide content, but there are some things that don't make as much sense to add. And then when you do those uh, internal scripts that you will always abide to, it's just easier for you to find your voice and stick with it instead of getting tempted away from the yeah. voice you've built. Well, I, I love this point. Like, I, I think you bring up a good point, which is boundaries. Um, I think you, if you're going to be a public figure, which you are, if you're a speaker, you need to know these are things I talk about. These are things I don't talk about. Hmm. It can't be a fluid line. So, uh, I love what you said, because I think on the, on the flip side of what you said, I've had a lot of clients that are like overly reliant on their avatar and they don't bring any of themselves in. And then that's also isolating to people. So it's a balance, like you said, about finding your personal style and what that even means. Like, is your personal style tonal? Is it uh, a, a certain lexicon? Is it like my personal style tends to be a lot of personal narrative. So I actually do use a lot of my stories as a way to tell uh, make my points. Um, that's, and I used to feel very self-conscious about that. I used to feel like that's so selfish and self-indulgent, but again, it's about training your eyes and your ears to be able to know, okay, when am I telling a story because I just need to get it out? Like that's when you call a friend or you say, you know, you tell your therapist and when am I telling a story because it serves what I'm trying to say. It like helps me make my point. It helps you better understand what I'm trying to get across. Yeah, I mean, I definitely love that. And it's just a matter of, you know, once you find it, just sticking with it. I mean, yeah. for my YouTube channel, I used to cover so many different things. Now I'm just down to self-publishing and dividend investing. And on this show, like we've just focused on public speaking. So, so you can branch out in some ways, but as long as you know which voice is for which platform, when you get on the stage, what is the primary thing you're going to be talking about? On the show, I help public speakers, but I, I don't usually get on the stage for like, you know, like how to be a successful public speaker. Like that's not my type of talk. It's more around podcasting. And at the same time, YouTube, I know self-publishing and dividend investing. So knowing what your voice is on which platform, because it can be slightly different for each one will also help you as well. Totally. I love it. Can we talk about channels too? Because I think that's such a good point that like 
your voice can still be authentic and you, but show up differently. Like you will see me play around in Instagram stories much differently than you will in my email list. Mm. Simply because of the nature of the platform and the limitations of each one of those things. Like in Instagram, I can play more with visual things. I can make, you know, younger uh, jokes. I can make more risque jokes. I have a different audience there a little bit. I mean, there's overlap, but I have a different audience there. I probably talk a lot more about parenting. I don't talk about it as much in my email list. I stick a little bit more to entrepreneurship. Um, and, and it's a lot more long form, really long form. Um, so, you know, just knowing those things about yourself, I think you make a really nice point about the intersection between, you know, what you have to say and what you want to say um, and what works for your audience. And so I, I think that you, you have to pay attention to both because I think people can lose their voices when they over focus on like what is good for the platform and what their audience wants instead of also like, what, what do you enjoy? Like it might be that your audience like wants a short email, but if you write really good long emails and you're a great writer who's super entertaining, try it out. Like see what happens. Same thing with speaking. Like it, it might be that you want, you know, research shows that you should have three bullet points per slide if you use a slide. But if you're like, I just want to put a picture on there and I just want to talk, like trust yourself, trust yourself. Yeah. And like with the dividend investing, like that was a big leap for me because I never really talked about it until the end of 2019. And it's just a topic I loved. People were loving it on YouTube. So I just keep talking about it along with the self-publishing. So uh, definitely try new things out because that is a part of refining your voice. But at the end of the day, as long as you know what your main message is, yes. who the main people are that you serve, that's going to seal the deal. Yes. Yes. So uh, for people who are wondering where can we find you, follow your work, all that, where are some good places for us to go? Awesome. Well, definitely my email list. You can check me out at uh, www.thatseemsimportant.com. Uh, jump on my email list there. I'm also on Twitter at Margo Aaron and Instagram. So definitely at me. <laughs> and uh, then YouTube. Uh, you mentioned my YouTube show with Hillary Weiss. If anyone follows her, she is a creative director, brilliant strategist and, uh, and copywriter. Uh, and we run a show called Hillary and Margo Yell at Websites. So it's a lot about online business and uh, sort of for the entrepreneurs, solopreneurs, and freelancers who are running out of map, um, all of the things that if you've taken all the courses, read all the books, and now you're like, okay, now what? What are the real conversations people are having around online business? Come check us out. Well, all those links will be in the show notes, but once again, Margo, I feel like this was such a great episode, and I appreciate you for taking the time to be on Profitable Public Speaking. My pleasure. Thanks for having me.